I want to continue the conversation from last week. Last week, I encouraged you to go to the podcast with my best attempt to give you a spiritual lineage or spiritual history to why not only I'm the way I am, but also my heart to see our church become a church that just hosts and houses God's presence. And it carries his heart for the lost and the broken, but more than anything, have that, that foundation, that longing to become a people who, who live out of the fullness of what Jesus Christ died and rose again and then sent his spirit so that we could live out of. Amen. How many know that he promised us a river, not a trickle? God promised us that. And so last week was just, just really a long testimony and, and sort of a history. I really encourage you to go to our website or our podcast and, and, and look it up. But I started with this, with this verse. Um, when you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden. For three years you are to consider it forbidden. It must not be eaten. In the fourth year, all of its fruit will be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. And in this way, you're to harvest, your harvest will be increased. I'm the Lord your God. And I jokingly mentioned that, you know, when you read through Leviticus, how many know there's a few dry spots every now and again? Can I say that as a pastor? I can say that as a pastor. There is some territory that is a little less exciting than other parts. Unless you're just weird and like a lot of blood and sacrifices and stuff. Then we need to talk after the service if that's you. But I didn't skip through this part. And when I read this in May, on May 8th is our, our third and then the start of our fourth year. When I read this, the Holy Spirit took the word on a page and then planted it in my heart. Has anyone had that happen when you read a verse? You said, where'd that come from? I've already read that a hundred times. Wait, where did it come from? Does everyone just nod your head? If you don't, you will experience that because God loves to surprise us with his word. When the spirit and the word go, and it finds a target to hit and a receptive heart, that's a beautiful collision, right? Amen. And so I saw this, and I, I, I immediately thought of this verse that where there's no vision in the, in the, the original language, it's revelation or a prophetic vision. In other words, a vision that's born in the heart of God, but then finds the hearts of people in a posture to receive and carry that vision. Because how many know when God sets to do something on the earth, he looks for people to partner with. He, that's how he does stuff. Where are the people at who are ready to steward and receive and carry this forward? That's heaven's perspective. And the people, without that kind of vision for God's people, we just throw off restraint. It's the wild, wild west. Amen. It's the Wild West in the church where it's my ministry, and it's my idea, my agenda, my power, my thoughts. And how many know that is not the way of God's kingdom and God's heart for his church? God's church is to burn with a vision born in the heart of God, received in the hearts of people, and then we go after that vision together. Amen. And then when we have that fiery vision from God's heart to our hearts, it helps us as a plumb line. When, well, why are, we, why are we hungry for God's word? Isn't it enough just to hear a few verses? Why are we hungry for God's presence? Isn't it enough to like sing three minutes? Why are we hungry for prayer? Isn't it enough to just do my hails? And, um, why is it about when we have a prophetic vision born in the heart of God and then stewarded and received and cultivated in the hearts of people, all of those conversations are very easy to steer and direct. Amen. Why, why, why? Well, here's why. It's God's fiery vision in his heart and he's calling us to, to, to run. He's calling us to say yes to this vision. 
And so when I read this Bible verse again, I just want to say t- today that this that it's time to build the altar. Now, you don't have my history, and I don't have your history, but as a church, God is saying it is time to build the altar. Back to Leviticus 19. I, I didn't tease this out last week because I was just sort of sharing out of the overflow, but I want to tease this out. Does everyone know what I mean by tease out? I don't mean I'm teasing you. I mean I'm going to draw out its implications. Okay? So when you enter the land and plant any fruit tree, for three years it's forbidden. We're coming up on three years. Lots of coming and going, lots of shifting and shaking. But in the fourth year, man, where are my people at to help me today? In In the fourth year, all of its fruit will be holy. And then here it is, an offering of praise to the Lord. You see, listen, why I shared what I shared last week was that I have been being formed in God's fire through the wilderness. We have been, that's how he forms us, amen, is in the fire and in the wilderness. That's how he forms us. We figure out who we are and who we're not. How many know both are important, who I am and who I'm not? But in this fourth year, I believe God is calling us to establish a place and a posture as a people it's all as unto him, a praise of holy offering to the Lord in this fourth year. And, and I'm going to tease that out and draw out its implications by looking to the life of David. How many have heard of the Bible guy named David, the character in the Bible, the man after God's own heart, the, the man who slayed his, and the man who slayed not his thousands, but his tens of thousands. David started as a shepherd boy. And in those fields, oh, so there's the logo. It's time to build the altar. This, this posture as a church where worship, word, and prayer go forth morning, noon, and night. And I like to say this. Not because prayer's the end or worship's the end or the word's the end. We do that and we encounter him. We exchange all that we're carrying, the funkiness and the gunk. He transforms us and then he sends us out to become many times the answer to the prayers we're crying out. How many have ever experienced that? You prayed something and the Lord's like, hey, dude, I'm talking to you. Go. <laughs> Worship, word, and prayer. It's time to build the altar. Well, David called the shepherd, God called the shepherd boy who was occupied with wonder and worship in the fields. Amen. He, he learned to steward his time and he grew in his history with God. This is the man after God's own heart, the youngest of all of his, his father's sons. He was zealous for the fame in the name of Yahweh. And it was that zeal for the holiness and the, the, the vindication of God's name that drove him to take on the giant. I want you to see that. It wasn't that David just liked to fight things. He was zealous for the honor of the name of his God. It's one thing to have like a fighter personality. It's another thing to be driven with holy fervor and zeal for the fame in the name of Yahweh. And this this was obviously on the heels of slaying bears and lions in the fields. And and then he serves as a, a, a psalmist or a musician in the courts of the king. This is David's history. Where when the, the spirit left Saul, Israel's first king, uh, an inflicting spirit came, and the only way that heaviness lifted was when he got in the presence of King David, uh, the future King David's heart, as he worshiped and ministered to the Lord, then the darkness would, would, would banish. How many have experienced the power of worship to shift the atmosphere of your heart and your mind? When you begin to declare the truth of who he is, what he's doing, what he's done, what he will do, how many of you know darkness has to flee in that environment? Darkness has to flee. And so David grew this history from a musician on the fields with a bunch of sheep. And then word gets out, there's a psalmist. 
There's a song, songwriter, there's a worshiper, there's one who has this posture of praise. And Saul, why don't you give it a shot? Nothing else working. And as soon as he plays, the darkness is lifted. Amen, that'll preach. And then he grows, obviously, on the battlefield and on the, in the grass fields. And he, he's, a, he's a great conquering king. And even when Saul is rejected because he loses the anointing, because he, he walked in presumption and, 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 and gave an unauthorized sacrifice, he didn't wait for the priest or the prophet. How many know when we presume on God, it is dangerous territory? And even when Saul was rejected and David was anointed the king by Samuel, this unleashed over a decade struggle with power and jealousy from Saul and running and hiding in caves. And, and all of this was a part of God's plan to form and fashion David to become a king who could steward God's heart for Israel and then ultimately be the, the prototype for the king that would come after him, Jesus Christ. But how many know David had to go through this process because in order to carry and steward the call on his life, he had to have the inner fortitude. He had to learn how to win the battle within of depression and anxiety and frustration. And God wins my time. And I thought you anointed me. And I'm not going to kill Saul, even though I've had several opportunities because he's your original king and anointed. But in this space and place, God is still working. And I want you to know that if you're in a cave today, and, you, and the fire is forming you, do not grow bitter. Realize God is forming you to be better fit to carry the call that God's, God's got for your life. And then David grows. If you read the stories of, of the Chronicles and Samuel that highlights his story, he draws other dejected, depressed, sad, indebted. Just read the list of his warriors. Come on, how many know? It's not about the condition you were in when he called you. When he calls you, he begins to transform you. And then you just got to read the exploits of the three and the 30 mighty men. It's tremendous. And then when David does become king, how many know he still had battles to fight? Come on, somebody. How many know there's always a battle to fight, but the battle is the Lord's if we'll partner with him. And in, in, in this place of power, he, he lost a little bit of sight. Not a little bit, a lot of it. Just read the story of Bathsheba. And he lost the battle of power and greed and lust. But when confronted with his sin, he did not conceal it. He cried out Psalm 51, one of the greatest pieces of poetry and repentance ever penned. I was sinful at birth, but Lord, you desire truth in the innermost place. Cleanse me, wash me, give me a, created me a pure heart, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Oh God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me like you did from Saul. I saw what happened when you lifted your hand. Oh, restore to me the joy of my salvation, and then I will teach transgressors your ways. This is Psalm 51. It's a dynamic prayer. And in that place of being confronted with his sin, instead of concealing it, he exposed himself before the Lord, and the Lord had mercy. Then after that, his family troubles continued. Anyone have family weirdness? Family's tough. And his own son tried to steal the throne before it was time, and he was exiled, and he didn't want to stay and fight because he didn't fight for the throne anyway. God anointed and chosen, gave it to him. But he was restored, and in this place, and throughout this whole journey, a desire within the heart of David began to swell, to build a permanent structure for the glory of God to dwell right in the capital of Israel. How many know God never told, quote-unquote, directly, David, build me a permanent structure? That was David's desire to build a permanent structure for God to dwell. If you just read, just go ahead and take, take the Bible's word for it in 2 Samuel 7. He said, God tells David, 
my whole history with Israel, I've been in these tents and tabernacles, and it's been about a mobile journey, but now that I'm establishing the kingdom I want to bless for all eternity, you had the desire to build a house for me in permanence. And this just speaks of David's humility to realize he's not gifted enough, he's not anointed enough, he's not mighty enough in battle. He needs the presence and power of God close for him to accomplish the purposes of God for his life. And so God gives David blueprints, divine strategies, and then he releases the resources necessary to build what was at its time one of the wonders of the world, Solomon's temple. And all of this, David's zeal, David knew he had a ton of blood on his hands. Because how many of you know, from shepherd to warrior to king, there was a whole lot of blood spilled on this trajectory of life. And so God comes to David in his holy zeal. I want to build you a place. It's in my heart that you'd have a place of permanence in Jerusalem right next to my house, my palace. I want the glory of God really close. And then to be told, dude, I'm sorry. You're not the one to build it. But what does David do? This is, it's just, it's lights out for me. David doesn't skip a beat. Well, then my son's going to build it. He agrees with God's heart. Come on, how many know we are in a generational change right now and we need the 60, 70, 80, 9-year-olds to look at the 10, 20, 30, 40-year-olds and say, I'm not going to grow bitter because the style's a little different, because you have a little bit, you're weird, I don't understand you. We need the generations not to say, hey, see you later. We need to pass the baton in this hour and see God raise up a new army who carries his presence and his word and his heart for the gospel. David doesn't grow bitter all right, well, then I'm going to set my son up to win. I mean, it's a stunning passage. He gave, God gave David all of the plans that, that the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord and the surrounding rooms and the treasuries of the temple of God and the treasuries for the dedicated things. All of this, David said, I have in writing as a result of the Lord's hand on me. And he enabled me to understand all the details of the plan. How many know when desire meets, de when devotion creates an, an, a, a place of dedication and, and th that the Lord will meet us in that place? We don't have to have all the answers, but if we have that heart, how many know the Spirit wants to give us strategies to fulfill the vision for our life, His vision for our life? He wants to come and speak and show and reveal. And then it just, I just have some verses here that show how generous and hungry David was. Just look at these in, in sequence. Besides in my devotion to the temple of my God, besides what Israel, the nation, has provided for the temple, look at this. I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God. Over and above. Say, that's the key phrase. Say over and above. Over and above everything I provided for this temple, for the gold work and the silver work and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Just go read that passage in First Chronicles 28 and 9. And as I read it in my devotions and just multiple times this week, and just when I saw the heart of David, that his devotion to God drove his vision to become and to build a place for God's presence to dwell. And then out of that devotion and vision came a plan and a strategy. 
And that plan and strategy, not like a crummy leader that expects all of his people to, hey, here's the the vision and all of you give and all of you get your act together and contribute. David knows that the only kind of leadership worth following is when the leader leads the charge in sacrificial yes. You have to see the wisdom of King David. It's not just, we want to build this magnificent structure. It's God. This was your idea. Well, my idea, your idea met. You gave me plans and strategies. Now, not am I only going to just say, hey, let's give a budget line when they, you know, they, met, you know, they had their yearly budget plan in Israel. Let's give a little bit to the temple. David says, no, 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 no. I want to give out my personal trade. Just read the amount that David gives to, to set his son up to win, to build this place. It's staggering that David had an all-in, over-the-top moment as a leader. That's what I tried to describe last week was my over-the-top, all-in yes. Finally, to God's call. Finally. And then what happened? When the leaders and the families and the officers of the tribes of Israel, when they saw the generosity of David and then the generosity of the leadership, the officials, the, 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 uh, the, the, the leaders over the tribes of Israel, it produce this willing response and this rejoicing in God's people. The people re- rejoice at the willing response of the leaders, and they, for they had be given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. So let me just re- read it very quickly. So he was very clear on the vision. We're building a house for God. Everyone say Amen. The leader is clear. Solomon has been chosen, but he's going to need our help, so let's set my little boy up to crush it. Amen. Vision's clear. Leadership's clear. The cost is clear. I've given my own treasures as well as the spoils and accumulation of all that God has provided for us as people. All of the victories that he has won on our behalf in battle. All of the infrastructure he's provided in Jerusalem and, and the extension of the kingdom that God is giving us as his people. I, the cost is clear. I'm going all in. I'm going over and above what is minimally required. How many know we will never, ever arrive at God's glorious future if we continue to just, you know on your credit card you can do the, the minimum payment? I'm not hating on you. That's all. That's, I'm not hating. But how many know when God sets a vision in our heart, it's not time to go minimum payment. It's time to go, Lord, I'm going over and above all in. I mean, he's talking about building a house for Yahweh to dwell in glory with endless, ceaseless, 24-7 worship prayer offerings right next to his palace. So the cost was clear. Join me. Consecrate yourselves. I love this. Then the ask is clear. Who is willing to offer themselves today for the great task into the Lord? I love this. And look, look what happens in the Bible. Then the leaders of the ancestral tribes and houses made their free will. Everyone say free will. Say it louder. Free will. David didn't guilt him. David didn't, hey, knuckleheads, have the same fiery heart for God as I did. He led the charge in generosity and he let the spirit, he let God's presence draw and produce this free will response. Are you tracking with me? And as they did, also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of the thousands and of the hundreds and of the officers over the king's work, they gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 darics of gold, 10,000 talents and a lot of talents. Everyone say lots of talents, (laughs) bronze and, and iron. And whoever had precious stones gave to the treasury of the house of the Lord. 
Then the people rejoiced. I want you to see that. Because they, these had been given what? Oh, come on. Willingly. For with single mind, they had offered freely to the Lord. And King David also rejoiced. And what leader wouldn't? What kingdom principle? When the people see their leaders go all in and sacrifice to give towards the vision without reservation, it releases a groundswell of both unity and generosity. How many want to live on the wake of unity and generosity? And I'm here to tell you that God wants us as a people. Because you say, Chad, but, and I know all of those Bible verses, but we're not actually like building a literal house because we're the spiritual house of God. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 and 16. And then six, oh, there's a bunch of verses. How many know Chaddy understands that God's people are now the temple, the place he dwells? Nod your head at me. You can, 1 Peter 2, Ephesians 2. There's a lot of beautiful references, all of which I love. And I abide by, and they're amazing. But how many know people still occupy places? Is this thing working? Hello. So even though it is true when Christ ascended and he poured out his Holy Spirit and Jew and Gentile, slave and free, young and old, when they put their faith in Christ, they were baptized by faith and repentance into his kingdom and he filled them and marked them and he justified them by his grace and they cried out, Abba, Father, because of the spirit of adoption that was poured out on them and they were filled and sanctified and transformed and empowered that yes, God dwells in those people, but how many know throughout the ages people gather in places and therefore places matter for God's purpose to go forth we're the temple I'm not dumb I know I'm the temple you're the temple when we get together the spiritual house but the principle remains that places matter for God's purposes especially in our cultural moment when we're being fragmented and pulled to all go to our little corners and live our personal private faith God is saying eh, come together like never before Come together like never before and develop a corporate identity from the purposes I'm about to release in the earth. You're going to need each other. Amen. John Wayne is not a kingdom value. I can do it all by, okay, whatever. Jesus had best friends. So does everyone hear me? Theologically, I understand we're not building an edifice because God doesn't even, read Acts chapter 7, the very first martyr after Pentecost. Stephen's all, God doesn't build in temples built by human hands, okay? We get it. Everyone say, we get it, Pastor Chatty. But the, the, the principle remains today. God wants us to build and towards a place for his presence to dwell when his people gather and posture themselves in a posture of worship with the word and prayer. And he wants morning, noon, and night, an offering of worship and praise, and then a lifestyle of loving obedience to mark the lives of those who call Cornerstone home. To build a place. To become a people. I know you're just reflecting. Okay, I, you're just... Chad, aren't we the temple? Oh, yeah, we are. Yeah, I get it. But how many know when we gather, God's building us, not just me, us into a kind of peculiar people. And when we gather, there are things that the Lord wants us to set our heart to so that he can continue to shape, form, fill, and then send us into the world to bear witnesses to his purposes and to bring him glory. Everyone say amen, and I'll crush, I'll crush it. I gotta go. I gotta go. Yo, skip it. Great. What prayer? I'm sure it was good.
We have a king. Oh, yeah, I have to do this part. Oh, I like this part. Oh, Lord, God, this was, this was David's prayer. He's about ready to die. And this is like one of his last prayers. Oh, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our ancestors keep forever. Whoa, does that mean still for today? Or I don't know. Okay, so let's go there. Keep forever such purposes, building a place, becoming a people that God can dwell by his glory. Purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people. Direct their hearts toward you. Grant my son Solomon that with, say it with me, single mind, that he would keep your commandments, your decrees, and your statutes, performing all of them, that he may build the temple for which I have made provision. I love this phrase. I pulled it out for you to screenshot or to take notes or whatever. Keep forever such purpose and thoughts in your people and direct their hearts towards you. How many know one of the, one of the, the, the purposes of place is to help remind us of certain things? Shake your head at me. I'm reminded when I pull up to In-N-Out, why would I spend $20 on a burger when I can spend three on one of the best burgers? Am I preaching to anyone today? Wherever your place is. Places remind us. How many remember the first date you went with your wife? Places matter. Okay, no one. Whoops. Okay. Um, places matter in the heart of God. Places remind us of purposes. They remind us of encounters and experiences. Places have a way to anchor us, to remind us of who we are and who we're not. God, remember, the keep this purpose in the thoughts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. And I want to say this. This prayer clearly has gospel implications for us today. Let me do the math for you. We have a king named Jesus who has provided out of his treasury <laughs> the overabundance of grace to build the house of dwelling for his presence. Jesus emptied himself, Philippians 2 says. All of the treasuries of his nature, of his goodness, of his love, of his power, of his mercy. He emptied himself so that the Father's heart that's manifest in David, a place for God to dwell, the Father's heart could actually come to pass. A people who become walking and talk, talking temples. A people, not just who have to go to a certain place and once a year enter behind this huge, massive, thick veil, and even then they're living out of a sin conscience instead of a God conscience, and, but a people who, are, who all have equal opportunity access through the blood of Jesus right into the very presence of God to be marked, filled, formed, and then sent to live out his mission in the world. The Son of God, the King of Kings, emptied his treasury so that we could become a house that hosts God's glory and presence. To live a lifestyle of a singleness of mind and heart. That God wants to live in a temple of radically redeemed and reconciled humanity. He's not working with gold and silver and rubies, and, but he's working with us. Come on, everyone say he's working with us. He wants to build us into a place of his dwelling. You and I, turn to your neighbor and say, you're the precious material that God wants to work with and to build a house today. It's you. Say it's you. All right, let's close down here. How many know the issue is always goes back to singleness of mind? There, how many know there are so many options out there to build and to give yourself to? But the Lord is inviting us at church, at, this, at our church, and the church, I believe, in the West and globally, 
to set our hearts to build towards that which actually endures and will endure the shaking that is already being felt and that is coming, but that you and I have built a life and a lifestyle, not only personally but corporately, that when the shaking comes, we just get shinier. Come on, that'll preach. When the shaking comes, all of the paraphernalia, all the baggage, oh, I needed this, I needed that, I know what is left is this fiery hot center of just pure devotion to Jesus, his people, and his cause. That's a good word right there. I believe God's calling us to build the altar. I was looking at old emails, and if you're wondering, you know, why, why are we calling it the altar prayer room? Uh, this, this idea of an altar. What happens at an altar? There's a sacrifice. There's an offering. Prayers are prayed. Praise is lifted. Amen. The, the human and the divine intersect and interact, how many else know at the altar there's fire? Come on, where are my pyro kingdom maniacs at? There's fire to, to consume. There's fire to refine. At the altar, it's this thin space in place. It's this, the altar, there's an implicit humility. How many know the Bible says God opposes the proud? James 4, 6. He just flat out opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Come on, the altar is this built-in posture of humility. Lord, we don't, but you did. We can't, but you will. We are, we are insufficient in and of ourselves in the arm of flesh, but here we are in your presence at the altar. Come, Holy Spirit. The altar is this built-in posture of humility. And how many know the Bible says he looks with favor on those who are marked by humility, who tremble at his word, and they don't hide and conceal. They come as they are right into his very presence and say, come, Lord Jesus, come. This is the altar. An altar sanctifies, it purifies. You know what else happens at the altar? Covenant. How many got married at an altar? There's this, this sacredness, this place in, where, you, where humans enter into this eternal bond and covenant with God and say, till death do us part, Lord, keep us faithful to the covenant. It's at the altar. You know what else happens at the altar? Things die no, we don't have to go kill animals anymore. Praise God, the blood of Jesus is good once and for all. But how many know he, always, he asks us to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, and to carry his purposes forth, not ours, his. The altar reminds us, don't quit offering, even when you're hurt, when you're sad, when you're, keep that offering alive so that the fire of God perpetually has something to burn within you. The altar, everyone say the altar. And I've been, I've been meditating on this, this idea of altar for like seven years, and that's kind of a godly number. I found old emails from 2012 that kind of started talking about this idea of altar. It's like my whole life I've seen kind of this cloudy, and how many know, until the last three or four weeks it's been like, Poof. don't do that, that hurt. Don't, don't. It's the altar. The altar of his presence. I just want to share some points because I know already the arguments. Well, can I just pray at home? Can I just worship on my own? Can I just read my Bible in my personal private, personal private, personal private, personal private? I just want to say as a pastor and as someone who studies and likes and loves, personal private is killing the church. It just Because you know why? We all assume everyone's abiding and obeying and living a lifestyle of worship. But how many know that assumption, if we read any statistic and even just read 10% of it, it's killing us. 
our discipleship, our formation, that we're actually looking and learning to love and live a lifestyle of Jesus. Personal private assumption is killing us. How many know everyone is called to have a personal private relationship with Jesus? Say amen. But within the context of a corporate identity, it's not just me and him, it's us and him. You have to hear it. I, I get up early. I have a great personal private relationship with Jesus. But how many know when the stuff hits the fan, if it's just you and personal private, and you, how many know we need each other? We need a collective, a place and a space where there's this posture of ceaseless worship and abiding and obeying and agreeing with his heart and this place where when I'm weak, I know there's an hour-long set. Sometime during the week, I can just come into the house of the Lord where it's his people gathered. I can sit, I can be reminded of his word, reminded of the gospel, be in an atmosphere of praise and worship, and then I can be prayed for and encouraged. And that's just one hour. It's pretty cool. Now, could I personal private do that? On my own? Sure, you should be. You could be. Nothing replaces when I get up first thing in the morning with my coffee and my great time with Jesus. But personal private's been killing us. Do I really need to come to a building? Can't I just meet with Jesus in my own room and in my own way? Well, yes, but no. Can you eat alone? Sure. But our meals best partaken of together? Come on, somebody, help me preach this morning. What's the, listen to me. What's the first thing you do when you see a vision of beauty? Oh my gosh, you have to see the sunset. Oh, what's the first thing weird people in 21st century do with phones when they have a good meal? It's not, it's. We want to share all the good stuff with others. Amen. That's just built into our spirit. Can you eat alone? Sure. Can you do devotions alone? Doggone it. Of course you can. You should. You can't live without meeting with them every day. But I'm saying as your pastor, I'm saying yes to the call to build a culture of perpetual offering of praise and worship and word so that our people and the people of the city and of the region can come and know that there are blocks of time sanctified, set apart, that I can be trained and formed in the ways of Christ, not just left to my own. I don't even know what to do, but I can go eat a meal with my family. All right, that's good. That's good. I'm happy. The answer is yes. It is in the coming together that we already begin to participate in God's plan, which is to remake the world through a people who are his very own. The coming together to pray and to meditate and marinate in the word forms us and then fills us to more faithfully and fruitfully follow Jesus out there. Also, going somewhere like the altar prayer room has a built-in cost and accountability. Because you got to get in your car, you got to walk it out, you got to put it on your calendar, and help me, somebody. All great things. Okay, I don't. I said it wrong. All great helps growing. Okay, I, it was early. Um, <sighs> these are all great helps for us to develop consistency and confidence and diligence in the things of God. How many have ever been defeated where you started out well then you tanked? No, every hand in this house should have gone up. That was a bunch of liars. <laughs> I'm going to pray and read. I'm going to try to become a better Christian. I'm going I'm to just do it all my personal, private self. You can. The Spirit of God is powerful. Good luck. But you'll be one of the select few. For the rest of us, having a space in place like the altar that we're building, we are setting our hearts to build, is that there's a built-in accountability and encouragement to keep going. Everyone say, keep going. There's a built-in 
We are born, look at this, we're born into a kingdom, adopted into a family, built on the foundation of Jesus. Okay, you don't believe me. So, why get a gym membership? Can I just work out alone? Yeah, how's that working for you? I'm not, it's just apply it to any area of your life. I can eat alone, sure I can, but boring. Why do I get a gym membership? Because everyone knows that long-term, sustained transformation of our natural bodies is best undertaken with others for encouragement, empowerment, and accountability for being coached to reach our full potential. Get a gym membership and then get a trainer and then watch those muscles form, baby. We're just saying as a church, we want to build all of the supplies to why we want to build the altar. We want to be like a, a, a spiritual gym. I'm preaching. No one's with me. Someone's with me. Come on. I'm almost done. You got nothing to do. I got nothing to do. I'm trying to make the argument personal. I'm, why? Well, can I just do it alone? Sure, you can. I do it. Uh, but we were made to eat together. We were made to run together. We were, I forgot, where two or three are, there I am. Well, chatty, aren't I? Aren't, isn't God always with me? I know those Bible verses too. I love them. But I'm just saying the whole Bible is written in the corporate you, the y'all. It's written to a people. The personal private mentality is killing us when there's this whole vast ocean of abundance and flourishing and hope and help if we would say yes to the collective corporate call to come to me. Oh, hallelujah. I'm happy. I'm almost done. This is literally, we're done. Here we go. So we want to build a space and a place for people to come and encounter Jesus, be formed and filled by his spirit and word. All of it's in the word. and It's awesome. And then we want to send each other out to be a more than conqueror in Jesus Christ. Someone said, that's good. That's good enough for me. Skip. Skip. Okay. Here we go. Jeez, what am I thinking? <laughs> Those are all good stuff. I'll email you or I'll preach it next week or something. I am here. I'm convinced that if we build the altar, it is one of the solutions to our unbelievable distractedness. We want to counter that by becoming a devoted people together. Where I'm distracted and bombarded and oh my goodness, I gotta go. But that there is a posture of a community that we adopt that, that is conducive and inducive for the life of Christ to grow and be nurtured in us and then the life and love of Christ to flow through us. I love this. This is one of my favorite things I stumbled on about a year ago. I haven't really preached it. There are very few things, indeed only one thing in the Bible we're told to do without ceasing in all circumstances and for all people. Guess what it is? <laughs> Wrong. Praying and rejoicing. Woo! Because <laughs> it's not, Chad, but is the altar like super gloomy and boring and do we just sit and tell God all of our problems and then we're done in like 10 minutes? Bull. We rejoice in his presence. It's worship with the word. We pray the word, abide the word, obey the word, and we give it to him in prayer and intercession. Then we rejoice on the way out as he sends us. In one-hour formats. The only thing, pray without ceasing, rejoice always, give thanks and also. And then I have these references if you want them. They're on the website too. Hallelujah. Pray and rejoice. What if this was our cultural reality at Cornerstone Church? Rejoicing in prayer, 
praise and petition, intimacy and friendship with Jesus and intercession. And then we saw a move of God's spirit and presence that we've only read about in the history of revivals. I'm happy. So here's what we're going to do. I have it on our web. I just built that part of our website. It has the altar. You can see our times. And I just did that. This, I'm just saying yes to the call. I'm doubling down. I'm tripling down. I'm going all in. I want to become, I want to build an altar. My initial goal is 24 hours with, like Andrew said, we already hit 10. And don't call us legalist baloney. How many know you hit no targets you don't aim at? Is there something sacred about tithing a day? I don't know. I think it's kind of cool because I thought he gave it to me. 24 one-hour blocks. We already had 10. We're not trying to build too quick. We're trying to posture ourselves to say yes to steward and carry the vision. God bless you, buddy. But here's what I want to do. And I have credibility to do this because I do not ask for money. I don't. I should more, probably. My dad always tells me that I need to grow in that area. <sighs> but I give. My wife, we're, God made us generous. My, I, all credit to God and to my parents. It just was stuffed in us. You can't outgive God, can't outgive God, can't. I just was brainwashed, sorry. How many have seen that true? You can't outgive God. I mean, just raise your hand. You've seen his goodness. So I believe in the, here's what, here's what I want to do. First of all, take that little half sheet, come to one of the sets this week. Just come. What do I expect? Here's what you expect. Two songs, the verse is, we're going to pray. Three to five prayer points that we got from the Bible. One more song. One more prayer point, rejoicing and send. One hour set. That's the little format. That's what we do every set with a different passage, different songs. It's fun. But is my, just come as you are. Do I have to like pray and act super spiritual and know everything? Come as you are. How many know the only thing the boys asked Jesus to teach them to do was to pray? And there is a lie on the church that says, I, I can't humble myself to grow and to learn in the realm of prayer. Prayer is probably the number one area we feel defeated, don't measure up, don't know how to do. We want to build an altar to just crush that thing. Where people can come and they can hear the prayers of others. They can begin to learn. Come on, how many know? Teach us to pray implies he can teach us to pray. He can teach us. So we grow into what we sow into. Say that with me. We grow into what we sow into. I just believed as I was reading this story of the Chronicles. Yep. I did. I believe it. When I saw David give over and above, everyone say over and above. Why am I taking the offering? Everyone, don't leave. Quit. I don't care how big the offering comes in right now, this love offering, to give towards building the altar. I don't even care. I just want to obey his voice. My wife and I, on top of our tithes and offerings, you can ask me personally. I'll tell you personally. I won't say it corporately. We didn't substitute our tithe and offering. We gave over and above towards the altar fund. Not by, because David did and it unleashed generosity. I'm not, there's no horns to toot up here. <laughs> that's funny. There's no, I'm not, I'm just being a leader that's transparent. Anything in my life you have access to. I want to take an offering as we go. I want you to come to one of the sets. We're going to build more. But I want to take an offering to build the altar. I'm freaked out. I'm not even freaked out. I'm just obeying his voice. I want to give you an opportunity to build the altar. So how? Glad you asked. What's super funny is we have no problem giving money to missions. But how many know if his presence doesn't go with us, missions is worthless. We give towards the next generation. We give towards kids ministries. We give towards worship. We give towards everything else except for the one area that connects us directly to heaven, prayer. 
I learned this by watching YouTubes and reading books that, oh my goodness, I've never ever in my life taken an offering to build prayer in a local church. What in the world is wrong with me? The one place that we have access to God to agree with his heart and release his purposes on the earth. <laughs> the altar. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, <laughs> I'm taking an offering. I don't even care. My wife and I already did it. We did it online. You can go on your website right now on your phone. Screenshot that because Planning Center just released Church Center app. It's an unbelievable free church app. They did it for us, all the work, because we pay money for their subscription use. Screenshot that. Go right now online. Do it. It's amazing. It's time to build the altar, family. But Chad, what about missions? Oh, we're going to go. Chad, what about men's and women's ministry? Oh, we're going to go. We're going to build. Chad, what about kids and youth ministry? We're going to go. We're going to give, but we're going to have a fiery hot center that in all of our going, it's marked by his presence. It's marked by his love. It's this place where he can come and dwell and draw near and that anyone can know at any given hour, where can I go meet with God? Where can I go be in his presence? Where can I go be formed in his word? Where can I learn how to pray? Where can I learn to connect with heaven? At the altar. At the altar. All right. So there's the times. You already got your half sheet. I made a pretty slide. So there you go. And this is really cool. Don't be freaked out. It's not like, we're going to steal your information. Seriously, get your cameras out right now. Zoom in. It'll take you right to the giving page. It's awesome. No, someone get your camera out. Hurry up. Just test me. Make sure it works. I tested it earlier. You just zoom in and hit the link when the link pops up. I want to take an offering. I want to build the altar. And I'm not afraid to ask. God has a vision for our church and for the church on the Central Coast in Santa Maria. Woo! Let's build it. Let's become it. Let's become, listen, God is a, did it work? Yay, it worked. I knew it worked. I already tested it. <laughs> I'm so glad it worked for you, though. Woohoo! Chad, but I, do I have to give? Yeah, we sow into what we want to grow into. But I can only do a dollar. Well, praise God, give that beautiful dollar. <laughs> Let's build an altar. Let's become a people that live out of the fullness of what God has provided for us in Jesus. And let's go. Where our, I love, Pete Gregg says this, go where your best prayers take you. I'll say that again, because go where your best prayers take you. Jesus, I pray right now, zero guilt zone. Not allowed. Get out. Zero shame zone. I've done the best I could to share a vision that is burning in my heart my whole life for this moment to your church, Cornerstone Church. I pray that you would move and grip our hearts to become a people that will build the altar, that morning, noon, and night, there would be ceaseless worship, word, prayer, and then a lifestyle of loving obedience, that we would really go where the, where the prayer takes us, that we would live out of the fullness of Christ. I pray right now, you would just unleash a groundswell of generosity and that people would just obey your voice. That's all I want. God, build the altar. May our, may our families be transformed because we, we seek to build a house for your glory. May our friendships be infused with kingdom life because we seek to have singleness of mind and heart. God, may our city, may our schools, may our workplaces be set on fire with the love of Christ. Holy Spirit, 
fill your church with the very life of Jesus. We pray this in your matchless name. Amen. Amen. Stand up to your feet. I love you guys. Stand on up. Stand on up. Everyone got the picture? Take it, whatever. Okay. Hold on one second. Just let me. Um, the word over 2019, this is the fourth year. If you're back to the Leviticus promise, the fourth year is a year of praise. I feel like we are hearing from God and we're obeying his voice. We're going to build this culture of prayer, praise, petition, and then lifestyle of, of yes to Jesus with his word. But I want to read this together because this verse really marked our entire year of 2019. So let's read it out loud. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Yes, Lord. And as you go, listen, we have plates as well. The, the ushers are going to come. Just put them on the altar. If you don't know how to use your phone, you're not. It's okay. You can do a check or cash. Just save the altar. But listen, how else do you keep the book on your lips always unless there's a place that always has it going forth? On our lips. This verse, man, how many believe that word is true? Shake your head at me or say amen. How many know there's actually a strategy to actually live that verse? And we want to, we want the, the altar is one of the ways to provide a place where day and night his word's going forth. And so just th stick your hands out like this. I just want to bless you. God, I just bless your church. I bless your church, Lord. I love your church. I love this church. I love our people. Lord, I thank you for their willingness and eagerness that they would sit at 1142. And only a few are frustrated, so I thank you for that. Lord, I bless them. May you never give a vision that I'm not willing to die for. Lord, I am willing. I'm moving. We're all in. We are all in. Lord, let that over and above all in spirit overtake our church. Just overtake our hearts. That, Lord, we would give ourselves to build and become the people that love and look and live like Jesus. For your glory and your renown. In your name we all pray. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. Have a great day. Let's build it together. Come join us this week. Yes. Just come here, right here to me. Come talk to me. After church last week, I got to my car, and about the time I came back, and I was asking you and your brother Andrew if anybody saw my phone. It was Somebody found her phone. Hallelujah. Praise God. It's awesome. Thank you. It's so good. Cool.